If you would, please remain standing, and we will turn to Ruth chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. It's Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued until, from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field uh, that they are reaping, and go with them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Please be seated. As we go through these four short chapters of the book of Ruth, we need to answer the question, why is Ruth important? Why do we need to spend a month or two as a church going verse by verse through this lovely story? I want us to remember where we are in redemptive history right now, where we are in the canon of Scripture. In Genesis, we all know the, the, the supernatural creation story. God acting as creator and sustainer of the universe. We see the sinfulness of man in the fall. We see the first murder with Cain killing his brother Abel. We see sin spread all over the world. 
We see the Lord's righteous wrath poured out on sinners in the flood. But we also see the grace of God and his loving kindness in saving Noah and his family. We see the Lord raise up the earliest patriarchs, specifically Abraham. The Lord calls to himself a people. He makes a covenant with his people and brings about the nation of Israel. And the Lord makes covenant promises to his people, including that the nation would be great and that they would, supply, he would, they would be supplied with a land for them to live in. In Exodus, we see Israel enslaved in Egypt, but Lord keeping his covenant promises to his people. The Lord raises up Moses to free his people. We see the supernatural plagues at work. We see the Ten Commandments handed down. We see the faithfulness and grace of God again in relenting of his wrath when the people make a false idol. We see the Lord dwelling among his people in the pillars of cloud and the fire and eventually in the tabernacle. In Leviticus, we see the, ra- the, the raising of the Le- Levitical priesthood. We see the laws for God's people regarding moral issues, ceremonial issues, judicial issues. In Numbers, we see the story pick back up with the Israelites roaming the desert. We see Moses disobey and the Lord punishes people with 40 more years wandering the desert. In Deuteronomy, we see Israel finally come to the border of the promised land. Even through all the disobedience of God's people, the Lord has kept his covenant promise to his people. And we see Moses remind the people this, that God has kept his promises, and now Israel needed to live up to their side of the covenant. In Joshua, we see many supernatural battles take place. The walls of Jericho fall. In Judges, we see the Lord bring judge after judge after judge, calling Israel back to repentance and calling them back to himself. So this is where we are, the time period that we are in. Ruth starts with the idea of this is in the day of the judges. So all the way up until Ruth, we see God supernaturally intervening in history to bring about his will. Creation, floods, plagues, uh, pillars of smoke and fire. And yet we see Israel's disobedience over and over and again, but a call to repentance. Ruth is the first book of the Bible to where we don't see miracles happening. We don't see a burning bush. We don't see angels coming to relay what God has to say. We have four short chapters that tell a love story. We see Ruth's faithfulness to her mother-in-law. We see this romance build between Boaz and Ruth. We see Naomi redeemed. It's a lovely story, but as Casey has said over the last couple of weeks, it's so much more than just this little love story tucked away in the Old Testament. So there's three things that I want us to focus on as we continue in this text. First is the goodness of God's law. Naomi is redeemed by Boaz fulfilling his requirements of the law to take care of the widow and the orphan. We see Israel's disobedience. Naomi leaves with her husband to Moab, something she should not have done. They marry foreigners, something that was against the Jewish law. 
We see them destitute when they return, which the village was breaking the law and not taking care of them. Own family members knew they were there but weren't taking care of them yet. So we see Israel's disobedience. We have this window into history here that we see. But most importantly, as Casey pointed out, we see God's sovereignty and his faithfulness to his covenant promises. Despite the people's disobedience, God is still loving and faithful towards his people. So we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 2. Naomi's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. Ruth and Orpah have lost their husbands. There's a famine in the land. Naomi has heard there's food back in Bethlehem. Ruth stays with her and goes back to Bethlehem. Ruth insists on staying, saying, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me. So Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem. Upon returning, we see a deep sadness, a deep depression in Naomi, a deep bitterness for what the Lord has brought her to. She tells the other women of the village, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So we have Naomi in this deep depression, in this deep bitterness. And in verse 1, we see Ruth take charge to make sure that their family is supplied for. We read, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Ruth said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain after him, who is, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. We're given this very short introduction to the character of Boaz in this story. We're only told two things about him. He's a, rea- he's, he's a distant relative. We know from the rest of the book he's not the closest relative, but he is a distant, re- distant relative of Naomi. We're told that he's a worthy man. In the, in the NIV, it says he's a man of standing. In the KJV, it says he's a mighty man of wealth. All of these translations can be supported by what we find in the book of Ruth. He was a man of high standing in the community. He had wealth and land holdings, and he has many servants. So while Naomi is wallowing in her bitterness, Ruth takes the initiative, goes to the fields to glean. And if, if you've never, you've got to picture this in your mind. This is literally walking behind the harvesters, picking up whatever they drop. It was not a great way to get your daily needs of food. So remembering the time period we're in, we must remember the early history of Israel. Foreigners were not looked well upon. They just weren't. To go out as a young woman 
a, a foreign woman, a widow at that, to go glean in the fields, was often met with much verbal abuse, even sexual abuse at times. And because of this, again, we have this window into Israel's disobedience during this time. Because if we look back at the law in Leviticus 19, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes from your, vine uh, from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. In Leviticus 23, it talks about it again. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. You shall not reap right up to the edge of the field, nor shall you gather your gleanings. Deuteronomy. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So again, we see Israel's disobedience here. They had a moral responsibility, a moral law handed to them by God saying, to gather food every three years so that you were able to feed not only the Levites, because they had no portion or inheritance, but those who are traveling through your town, those who are fatherless, those who are widows, those foreigners in your town. This is what Ruth was wanting to go do when she asked if she could go glean in the fields, to simply walk behind the harvesters and try to scrape together enough food to survive. So knowing the risks of her being a widowed foreigner in this day and age, she goes out to the field to glean and it's simple. She, she wants to find someone in whose sight she finds favor, someone that will not mistreat her as she walks behind to gather food. So if we continue on in verse 3 of our text, we see, so she set out and went and gleaned in a field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So we have to start thinking as we read this story. Do we believe in just coincidences that Ruth just so happened to come across a field that belonged to a distant relative? Or do we look at this as the sovereign work of God, bringing the people to the right time, the right place, so that his will is accomplished? So I don't believe that she just happens upon a field belonging to Boaz and that he just so happens to be a family member. If we continue on, we'll have to continue looking at, is this coincidence or God's sovereignty? And verse 4, it says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So Boaz wasn't even there. He came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you, and the Lord bless you. Then Boaz just so happens to notice this woman. Again, we must decide if we're talking about coincidence or God's sovereign work which looks very different than those previous seven chapters when we see undisputable evidence of God stepping out of the supernatural realm and acting in reality. So there's a lot for us to look at in these, in these few short verses, uh, verses four through seven. 
uh, starting in 6, says, And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, uh, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Again, we, we have to fill in, so this is such a short story, we have to fill in some blanks here. Again, we see Israel's disobedience. They knew Naomi was back. They knew Ruth was with her. And yet, they are having to glean in the fields while she has family in town. She said, this is the young woman with, uh, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She says, please let me glean among uh, and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So there's a lot of things to consider here. We have Naomi and Ruth in a destitute state, almost homeless. They're reduced to Ruth needing to go behind the harvesters collecting any grain that they drop people that needed to do this were probably very close to starving. It appears that this village knows of their return and they have done nothing to help them in direct conflict to Jewish law. When Boaz asks about this new woman gleaning in the field, the, servants, the servant responds as if she's a nuisance. And it's very important that we read it in that way. He points out that Ruth, first and foremost, is a foreigner says this foreign woman is, is coming and gleaning in our field. He tells his master that she has asked to go above and beyond the requirement allowing her to glean. So imagine you have the plants, you have the stalks that they cut, that's the sheaves, and then you have whatever falls on the ground after collecting the sheaves. That is what they were allowed to glean. But we go back and we see Ruth asking, let me glean and gather among the sheaves, not just what's fallen to the ground. So he appears to be a little annoyed that he would get this request of not only let me pick up what's off the ground, but let me glean among the sheaves themselves. She's come out early in the morning. She's worked throughout the day, only stopping for a short rest. The overseer believes that this foreigner is taking advantage of Boaz that she is gathering too much grain. If we continue on in verse 8 of our text, we see that Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? In those few short verses, Boaz offers seven kindnesses to Ruth. Not only keeping the Jewish law regarding foreigners and widows, but actually going far beyond what the Jewish law required. First, he says, Do not go in another field. Stay, stay in my fields. You will get enough. Don't go away from here. Stay here. Stick close to my servant girls. Be sure to watch where you are gleaning and stay in my field. Follow along with my girls. Boaz ordered the men not to bother Ruth. And went as far as to say, whenever you're thirsty, go get 
a drink from the water jars that my men have filled. Not go to the well and get it yourself, but partake in the water that I have already drawn. In these seven kindnesses, we, we get this window into Ruth's life during this time. First, when he says, don't go and glean another field, don't go away from here, stay here, stick close to my servant girls, we see that Ruth was probably on her way out, was probably leaving the field when Boaz found her. Second, something was probably done to her by a male worker that made her uncomfortable. It's most likely the reason that she was leaving. Boaz was concerned for her safety, saying, be sure to stay in my field because I've told my men not to mess with you. We know that this probably had something to do with while Ruth was on that short rest and gathered water. And here we see, don't, don't go to the well by yourself. Come and get water from the jars that have already filled. We see from Ruth's response that she is overwhelmed by this unexpected kindness. She falls on her face and cries, why, why, have, you found, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should notice me? Boaz's response says he's now been told of everything that, he, that she's done for his mother-in-law, or for her mother-in-law, since the death of her husband. And that she has come all this way to take care of Naomi. I can assume that none of us have ever had to go to a neighbor's field to go glean for food for the day. But I guarantee you we've all had difficult times. The story of, of just this overwhelming kindness that we see from Boaz today, each and one of us have experienced something like that. We've also experienced the difficulties that Ruth and Naomi are in, whether it be issues with your jobs, whether it be financial issues, health issues, the loss of loved ones, anxiety, depression, just the world crashing in on you. Some of you may be experiencing a season like that right now. I believe that Ruth, the book of Ruth, speaks to us because it's a very close parallel to our own lives. We see Ruth's kindness and faithfulness and staying with Naomi. We see God sovereignly working to bring her to the right place, to the right time, and God provide for her. We see the kindness of Boaz. But we don't, again, see this supernatural acting. We don't see the burning bush. We don't see the angels come. Very similar to our lives. When hard times come, what do we depend on? Is it, is it happy coincidences? Casey pointed out last week, that these things are not mere coincidences. Rather, they remain the work of a gracious, a kind, a loving God. Even in the midst of disobedience, the Lord remains faithful to his people. And that all of these moving parts coming together, whether it be in Ruth, whether it be in the New Testament, whether it be in our lives today, is the work of a sovereign God. While there's no burning bush, no prophet speaking uh, the word of God, no angels coming to deliver messages, 
we still see God at work today. We still see God at work in this story. Everyone knows Romans 8, 28. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I've been in seasons where that's a hard verse. How can this pain, how can this suffering, how can this trial that I'm going through right now be meant for good? I don't have a great answer for that. It's much easier when we're having good times, when we're having times of some type of prosperity or uh, just joy to look back and say, oh, God, God's acting, he's taking care of me. But so difficult in those times that we're down. So we have to decide something. We have to decide first and foremost, is God sovereign? Is he in control of everything? Because we don't get to pick and choose when God is sovereign. We don't get to say, well, I'm, I'm having bad times. That's not God. But when I have good times, that is God. God is either sovereign all the time or he's sovereign none of the time. He's either sovereign in everything or he's not sovereign in anything. We know that we'll suffer in this life. But how often do we remind ourselves that even in that suffering, God is sovereign in those times? The prophet Isaiah, when speaking of the coming Savior, said this, A bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench, he will faithfully bring forth justice. The Puritan Richard Sibes wrote a fantastic book called The Bruised Reed that deals with our times of suffering. He writes that God sees fit that we should taste of that cup which his son so deeply drank, that we might feel a little what sin is and what the son's love was. But our comfort is that Christ drank the dregs of the cup for us, and he will help us so that our spirits may not utterly fail under the little taste of his displeasure. So that our spirits will not utterly fail under this tiny little taste of displeasure that we may feel. He became not only a man, but a curse, a man of sorrows for us. He was broke that we should not be broken. He was troubled so that we should not be so desperately troubled. He became a curse that we should not be accursed. Whatever we may wish for in an all-sufficient comforter is found in Christ. We can look at Naomi and Ruth and see their suffering. Naomi lost her husband and two sons. Ruth lost her husband. They are now back in a town where they are treated like trash when the very laws handed down by God says that they should be loved and cared for. God is sovereign in that too. That's a hard thing to hear, but God is sovereign in that too. In Richard Sives' books, he, he, he talks about what we consider to be the bad times. Are they as bad as we consider them? 
They seem pretty bad when we're going through them. But do we miss the fact that, yes, back, back to this verse in Isaiah, the Lord may bruise us, but he won't break us. Are our bad times actually God keeping us from worse times? So the same things that we looked at that I said we need to watch out for uh, in this text are the same things we need to remind ourselves of now. First and foremost, there is goodness in God's law. It is not just a set of rules in which we must maintain to be saved, to get saved. As we read in Romans, the, the law had a purpose, and it's to shut our mouths. But the law is also a good thing. It is meant for the good of God's people. We, see, we hear so much today, all these talks and... Uh, I'll just leave it at that. All these talks on social justice. And don't get me wrong, there is injustice in this world. There is But there's only one place that we find true justice, and that is in the law of God and in the completed work of Christ. So much in this world would be better if people realized that the laws of God were meant for their good. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, he said, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. People often end there, but there's a sentence after it that's very important. On these two commandments, love the Lord and love your neighbor, on those two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. If people want social justice in this world, they need God's law. They need to stop fighting against God's law. Secondly, we need to think about our disobedience. Our failure to keep those two main parts of the law. Not only is it a failure, but apart from Christ, we have a complete inability to keep any aspect of that law. We need to be reminded, as as Paul wrote in Romans, that none of us are righteous. Not a single one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The goodness of God's law shows us that. That none of us are righteous. And if we are not righteous in God's God's Uh, standard of righteousness is perfection, then we've all failed. So God's sovereignty is the third thing that we need to look at. God being sovereign even in the bad times, even in the hard times. Our problems are not so big that it overshadows the work of Christ. And when we compare our problems to the to the goodness of the work of Christ. Our problems become so small. Despite our disobedience, despite our sinfulness, Christ condescended, he put on flesh, he lived a perfect life, he died the death that we deserved, he took on that fullness of God's wrath 
rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father, Father, interceding on behalf of believers. So let us be reminded as we leave here today, as we continue to go through Ruth, Ruth is a beautiful picture of God's sovereignty. It's a beautiful picture of the goodness of God's law. It's a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. So let us be reminded that no matter what season we may be in right now, no matter what season may be coming for us, that God is sovereign in all things. All of his promises are yes and amen, and thank the Lord they are not dependent on us being obedient. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are a faithful, unchanging God. Lord, even in our, our darkest moments, Lord, we know that you are with us, that there is a purpose in these dark times. What, what the world means for evil, you mean for good, for those that love you, Lord. As we continue on in worshiping and song, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, Lord, I ask that you would just continue to, to help us focus our thoughts on you and on the work of your Son. Bless the rest of the time together. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.